So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Aria wanted me to be sure to express her appreciation and gratitude for those of you who've prayed for her and uh, continue to do so. So it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is going to be this week, isn't it? I mean, where has the time gone? And, um, you know, Thanksgiving is intended to involve thanks and giving. And thanks and giving go together. And I want to challenge you this year, let's give more thanks and let's do more giving. And I'm, I'm not really talking about what you are going to guess there. But, you know, unless you're intentional, it just gets away from you. We get so busy with all the cooking and all the family and all the chasing kids and all the feasting and the gaming. I mean, one year our family played a soccer game, but uh, we added one rule so that everybody would be on the same level, and that was that anybody over five years old could only walk. No running. <laughs> but some of my relatives who walk that fast do look like turkeys. I got to tell you, they're... they're <laughs> You go, that, that doesn't look like walking in. I probably did the same, but we were just having a fun game, and it's just more fun when you win. So, you know, we, we think of Thanksgiving as a national holiday, and it was first practiced by the pilgrims 350 years ago in America. And it's true, they took time to say thank you. Very good. But you also can see in the Bible thousands of years before that that uh, gratitude was, uh, was taught, it was modeled, it was celebrated. And uh, I want us to go back and look at the Apostle Paul as an example. Here he was, this young Jewish scholar in the time of Jesus. He was rising up through the ranks. He was given responsibilities uh, well ahead of his contemporaries. Uh, they had seen, from the Jewish point of view, they saw this threat of all these followers of Jesus that after Jesus died and then uh, was resurrected from the dead, that they began to follow him in this religion. They were at the time calling it the way. It became called Christianity. But he was given the responsibility of snuffing it out. And uh, he took his responsibility seriously. He went around arresting people, putting them in prison, and then one day Jesus arrested him. Paul found himself on his back in a blazing bright light, hearing a voice that was obviously uh, greater than human, asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his life was transformed. He went from an agent of hate to become the gospel or the apostle of truth. He became a missionary. He became a church planter. He became an author of best-selling books. And he began to travel around and talk with people and introduce them to Jesus and gather them into little groups in the city that they lived in and start a church among them and pastor them for a while and then grow up some leadership in that group and then leave it to them and move on to the next place to do it again somewhere else. And so one place he did this was in the church in Corinth. It was about 50 A.D., and Corinth was a metropolitan city of Jews and Gentiles and Romans in Greece, and it's not very far from the sea, and it was a place of plenty, of wealth, of leisure, of luxury, and loose morals. The temple of Aphrodite was there, and it was famous for its temple prostitution. And so Paul comes into this city to start a church. I'm guessing, but it doesn't tell us this, <clears throat> we know he made friends with Aquila and Priscilla who were tent makers. And Paul was also a tent maker. And so whether that was some of his first contacts, people he got to know, husband and wife team, 
But they became some of his best assistant ministers there and other places, along with Apollos came out of the church in Corinth. And they all became helpful with Paul in the larger effort of how do we get churches started everywhere and uh, groups of believers gathering to praise Jesus' name. So Paul got this church in Corinth up and running and started, and then he moved on. And a year, two, three, four, five went by, and then he started getting reports back about the church. Spotty reports. All was not well on the Western Front. Some of the believers in the church were still acting like and living like the world. They were quarreling with each other. They were squabbling over who was their favorite pastor or over which apostle had more authority. There was sexual immorality out in the open and being tolerated by the church. There were Christians suing Christians in court. There was idolatry being practiced. I mean, in short, the church wasn't transforming the world by the power of Christ that was alive in them. The church was looking like the world. Paul really wanted to discipline them severely like an exasperated parent with a naughty child. But he knew that that move wouldn't go in the right direction, wouldn't end where he wanted. So he took a different approach. Now some of you this week, you know, you're going to be gathering for Thanksgiving probably with family. And maybe there's somebody that, in that group that you have prayed for for a long time. Maybe you even brought them to church when they were young. Maybe they've walked away from the Lord. And you wish you could say some things, but... You know, you'd be tempted to get frustrated and you're just trying to get them on track, but maybe it's just better to pray. In fact, Jim Burns wrote the book that we've, and we have at our house, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. The subtitle is Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out. Maybe you need to practice that this week. I don't know, it's just an idea to get ready for that part of Thanksgiving. So Paul sends instead this love letter and to help them to, or once again to turn towards Christ and put him at the center. So look at he starts, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Paul reminds him who he is, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ called by God, the will of God. That he and his life had been going this direction, and God interrupted it and sent him on a, a different path. And then Paul reminds them who they are, that they're called to be saints. They are sanctified, which I think of the word pure or without blemish. Sanctified in Christ Jesus by calling on the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ. Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He extends greetings, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That verse, grace to you and peace to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that's like you would talk to a family. That's family talk. You, you wouldn't say that to somebody who wasn't part of the faith, somebody who isn't part of the family of God. I mean, this is a family that has been separated from the darkness to come into the light. This is, these are people who've been adopted into the family of God. They've gone from death to life. They live in the heavenly family of God's family. That we've been given grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And we've been given peace, this internal rest, knowing in your heart that you're right with God, that he's got your life in his hands, that he's going to guide and direct and protect and bless you. I mean, you can't find that kind of peace apart from knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's see, the family of faith is different than just your neighbors or even your birth family or other people you know that aren't believers. 
There's a common denominator in Jesus Christ that is deeper and a, a greater foundation than anything else we could come up with. Cindy and I recently were invited to our neighborhood homeowners association meeting. They're having a little problem. They've been started, somebody started kind of in a knee-jerk way into a little improvement of the street and the gate. And uh, they didn't really get enough research done and they didn't certainly get enough permits. And the project's gotten stopped, so there's one lane going in. And so they're going to have this meeting and the person's up in front trying to explain it, but there's an angry neighbor or two and they're going to be rude. And pretty soon the guy in charge just gets up and leaves. And I'm sitting there biting my tongue but thinking, you know, this might be a prototype for hell. where nothing ever gets done, there's discord, disunity, anger, chaos, and you don't know when, it's, if ever, it's going to end. Uh, but uh, anyway, we managed to survive, and we still just have our one little lane in we can thank the Lord for. See, because what holds a group like that together? This that we live near each other? That says that we're all going to incur expenses together? Just that our street's torn up? That we're irritated? Uh, what? You know, versus what Paul says is you all are, have a common denominator in Jesus Christ. You were called to be saints with those who have heard the call and responded to the call from everywhere else. People who've called on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then here's what Paul wants to tell them, starting verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul gets kind of excited about this, and so you, it takes about three breaths even to read one sentence that he, that he wrote. And, and then he says, verse 9, for God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to lift out about seven different little things from this passage that would help us with thanksgiving. First is, he says, I thank God. You know, gratitude is a choice. He chooses to thank God. Gratitude's not always easy. Gratitude can be hard work. I mean, Paul would tell us first that we need to give thanks when times are good. And the Bible warns us, when things are going great, don't forget the Lord. Show gratitude. And when God's blessings come our way, to say thank you. And to give also thanks when times are tough. When you don't know how things are going to work out. When you don't know the end of the story. When it isn't going your way. How do we thank God? Let me give you five little words you can write down and think about. Number one, we pray. Pray like God is really listening. Not just to impress people. Pray. Because God is really listening. Sing. Sing like nobody's listening. <laughs> Because maybe you don't like what your voice sounds like. Sing louder then. Sing longer songs. Stand in the shower. I don't know. Stand in the front row. People can't hear you. Um, you know, the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord. And to sing your praises to the Lord and just let it out. To give. I'm not talking just about money. Yes, money, but more than that. Give of yourself, your time, your talents, besides your treasures. You know, we've had two volunteers on our project, and it's really, they're a huge part of why we're able to say January 12, 2020 is going to be the first date there. It's Mike Brooks and Hal Orr, our moderator and our treasurer. Every week, they have spent hours and hours talking with the contractors, holding them on, uh, on, on task, uh, checking on the money, asking good questions, having them redo things things when, when they, they haven't been done right the first time. And on and on and on. They have given of themselves above and beyond 
the call of duty. So pray, sing, give, serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. You are gifted to serve. God has blessed you. He's gifted you. To serve others brings joy to our hearts. And then share. To share your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, is there going to be an opportunity at your gathering this Thanksgiving to share your faith in a gracious way with somebody? Are you preparing your heart, asking God to provide opportunities and have, for asking God to help you to see that moment and then seize the opportunity? See, gratitude is a choice. It's not just a feeling that comes over you like all of a sudden you realize, I've got the flu. You know, you, you know, you know gratitude is something you choose. You count your blessings. If you're feeling on the outs today or under the circumstances, how about making a list? Here's your top 10 things that you're thankful for as you head into Thanksgiving. Paul's life had been transformed by Jesus Christ. He never got married. He was constantly on the move. He never had a house. He never had any retirement plan. He was either um, moving from place to place, living out of a suitcase, or uh, in prison, where he spent lots of his life just waiting, 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 wondering, when am I really going to get to do the work of the Lord? While he's waiting, he's writing letters to different people and churches. He didn't know, but that's half our New Testament. God was inspiring him to speak God's word. And he's writing to churches uh, that are having problems. And this one in, in Corinth had lots of problems, big problems. But he starts with them with gratitude. I thank God. What a great example for us to begin every day thanking God for his many blessings. Then he says, number two, I thank God for you. I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul is thanking God for the Corinthian church. I mean, Paul had been there to help the church be born. He had watched some of them become believers in Jesus and grow up in their faith. He's cheering for them. You see, when a person comes to Jesus Christ in faith, they forsake the way of the world. They repent from it. That means they turn. And they ask and receive forgiveness for all their sins from their Savior. And the Holy Spirit moves into their heart and into their life, and they have God's Word. And between God's Word and His Spirit guiding them, they grow up. Local church helps with that, to help people mature in their faith. They don't stay spiritual babies. They grow up. Alistair Begg was speaking here in Southern California last week. He has a radio ministry called Truth for Life from Cleveland, Ohio. And he was speaking, and so Cindy and I thought, that would be fun to go hear him in person. And so we went and found out that a couple thousand people had thought the very same on the same night. So we were in the way back of the, uh, of the congregation. But here's a quote from him. He says, God takes the word of God with the spirit of God in the child of God to become more like the son of God. God takes the word of God with the spirit of God in the child of God to become more like the son of God. In other words, God is at work in you. So Paul is thanking God for this church. I thank God for South Shores. I mean, you are a gift to me. And you've responded to God's gracious invitation. That's why you're part of South Shores. You love Jesus. And you're serious about God's word, the Bible. We see this as our guide for our faith and our practice. It's not just, and that's out of style, by the way. The world does not see this as an authority on how to live life. It's been discarded. And you take Jesus' command, go make disciples. Seriously. We put 10% of our budget in that direction just to help support our missionaries. And because of your generosity, we generally do about twice that much to missionaries. 
to help get the good news of Jesus all around the world. And you're a multi-generational family. I love that. We have people, a person over 100. And this year at South Shores in 2019, we had eight new babies. In fact, I'm going to ask all their families to come and light the candles for Christmas so you can see some of those little partners. And you're friendly. You care about other people. You reach out. In fact, that's why we have these name tags out there. And I, I just want to say, if you have a name tag on today, thank you. If you don't, please rejuvenate the habit. Now, I, I will point out, somebody was standing next to the name tag table, and this happened more than once. Somebody said, would you like to put on a name tag? And they go, no, no, I know my name. <laughs> and it sounds like a funny joke, but take it apart for a minute, okay? It's basically saying, I'm the only one who matters. <laughs> Nobody else has to know me or my name. And I'm not going to be trying to reach out to anybody else and get their name. Instead of saying, it's not about me, it's about somebody else. So I'm encouraging us, wear the name tag. Some of you have a more permanent one. Some, if you're in Bible study fellowship, you have one the size of a placard <coughs> that you'd wear. Thank you. That's good. Uh, but in other words, the whole idea is I'm helping other people become uh, comfortable and familiar and acquainted and we start by learning people's names where we can make friends and encourage them. Your best friends might be here at church and you haven't met them yet. So give them a chance and put on a name tag. South Shores, you're kind. Even when you disagree, you do it in a gracious sort of way. And you're visionary. I mean, you believe that God wants us to witness to his goodness where we work and live until he returns which is why we've taken on the pro took on the project in Dana Point to upgrade the campus. We're not making a museum. We're not making a monument. We're making tools that can be used for ministry to reach people for Jesus Christ. In fact, you know something else that's been happening in the last few months that you probably, most of you, have been unaware of? But in preparation for our move, in preparation for what God's going to be doing in us next, your pastors, your staff, your deacons have joined in to a 10-week Bible study that just finished, just uh, last week. 10 weeks of looking at how do we connect with God? How do we connect with the church? How do we connect with purpose? Looking at spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and confession and serving and giving and sharing and sharing stories of, of God at work in our lives through the years, of sharing faith. 10 weeks of homework five days a week, of praying, of praying for you of getting the hearts of the leaders ready to say, God, you're about to help us take a great big step. We want it to be more than just a building or a campus. We want you to keep doing your work in our hearts so that we overflow into the lives of the people around us to the glory of God. Paul goes on to say, you were gifted in speech and knowledge. He says, I thank God you were enriched in him in speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. You hear about Christ, you learn enough to know that it, you need him, that it has to be personal. He gives you opportunities to speak to other people. So you end up testifying to the goodness of God in your life. I don't know if those moments frighten you or if you realize God's hand is on my life. He's using me to touch somebody else. How about starting to pray, God, help those moments to happen more often and help me to recognize them sooner and give me the words to say so that I speak for you. See, who's coming to your gathering this Thanksgiving who needs a word from Jesus? Will you be his mouthpiece? And be ready. 
Paul says, I thank God that you have been gifted to serve God as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you're born spiritually, God is so excited that he gives gifts to his new children, the ones who've been adopted into his family, and he gifts them. They need lots of stuff like all babies always do. But uh, it, if you go look and you could read 1 Corinthians, if you read the whole book, you would run into lists of gifts. There's about 24 different spiritual gifts that are given to the people of God to build up the body of Christ, the church, and to make it healthy and whole and strong. And you have been given at least one of those gifts. Now, I know it sounds humble to say, oh, I don't have any gift. But why would God leave you out? when he's passing out the gifts because he also has a plan for your life. And I think it's absolutely amazing if you think about it. God's got a plan for your life and he's given you certain gifts to use in your life. Do you think those gifts fit in with his plan? Well, they fit in perfectly. That God gifted you in a way that he wants you using those gifts to the glory of God to fulfill what he's got in your life. So you've got at least one of the gifts. God has his plan and he's going to fit it all together. And so it says in verse 7, you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus left the earth, one of the last things he said is, I'm coming back the same way you see me go. I'm returning. So they were looking over their shoulder. It could be today. He left up in the clouds. He could just be showing back up. What if it's today? So they were waiting, but it was an active waiting. It could be today. Am I ready to see him face to face? Now, we've had some of that kind of like that same kind of feeling this year because, you know, in, in the building project, you might know it's been delayed once or twice if you've been around here. And so we thought it was going to be like it was supposed to be first targeted. I think it was in March. Well, you wonder, okay, should we postpone uh, the extravaganza? Should we, should we do something different at Easter? Because we're going to be trying to move at the same time. I said, no, stay on track for Easter. Wow, then we got past Easter. Then, well, what about in Mother's Day or, you know, the end of school? Oh, that's such a busy time. And no, we got past that. What about vacation Bible school? Do you postpone or cancel vacation? No, we're going to do these things, even if we're doing two things at the same time. Then we get around it. You know, people say, well, how do I take my vacation? I don't know. Take a few days. It might happen while you're gone. You know, and, and so kind of a, a, an alertness, awareness, all summer long. So I hope to take my summer vacation in February. <laughs> so it could happen any time. If Jesus were to return today, is there any regret you'd have to say, you know, I wanted to get this done for the Lord and I don't have it done yet. If something comes to mind like that, then write yourself a little note and do that this week. So that you got to keep short accounts and you're ready. That when he's ready, you're ready. So there's an urgency. You, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're waiting urgently, expectantly. He's coming. It's an active waiting. And then number six is sustained by our Lord Jesus Christ, declared guiltless in the day of our Lord. Verse eight, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know God sees you as guiltless? They're not guilty. God has expunged the record. There's no account of your sin. You're free. He sees you as pure and sanctified in his sight because of the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, that's good news. If you went to the bank to square up an account and you found that your student loan or your house loan had been completely paid by somebody, you'd walk out of there on cloud nine. You would be filled with joy and gratitude and thankfulness in your heart. And God has done ever so much more for you than that ever so much more. He's alive in your heart by the Holy Spirit. He never gets tired. He never sleeps. He never gives up. 
He just holds you up. He just sustains you. You belong to God. If you're tired, discouraged today, having difficulties and losses, just rest in his arms. He'll hold you up. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He sustains us. See, there's a temptation to withdraw, to live in isolation, to, to let sin creep back into our lives, and which will strain the love relationships with our Savior and with our other believers, with our church family. Stay connected. Stay connected. Be accountable to the family of faith. Stay connected. Grow in genuine relationships. Recently at a wedding, and I, I was just there. I wasn't doing it, but afterwards I spoke to somebody, and somebody heard my voice, and this lady said, hey, you're Pastor Guy from South Shore Church. I said, yes, how did you know? She said, well, we were going to South Shores when you arrived there, but then we left. <laughs> I said, I knew all that. I said, well, where did you go? Oh, well, we went to Church A, and then we went to Church B. And then we went to church C. And then we went to church D. And then we went to church E. And now we're going to church F. And in my mind, I, I flashed to where Jesus is talking to the woman of Samaria. And she says, go get your husband. And she said, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So you are telling me the truth. In other words, she just hopped from here to here to here to here to here to here. Church is a family. And there are people who hop from one place to the other and think, oh, they got the best music program. Oh, that's the best thing for youth. Oh, you know what they've got. And, and they just, uh, they're trying to pick things off the top rather than saying, I'm part of a family. I don't just go switching families. I commit myself to the family. I have long-term relationships in the family. I'm going to find something there if I stay faithful and committed and, and caring for the long haul. I will be blessed in a way that I... I can't really describe, and it certainly is a whole lot better than just hopping from here to here to here to here to here and keeping everything surface. So if you just hopped here today, well, God bless you. <laughs> then stay here. <laughs> Number seven, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called into fellowship. So I want to challenge you. Show up. Show up. Now, I'm talking attendance first, but in worship, but often we're just like spectators, but also show up in a small group, get known by somebody, show up with a job where you're caring for others, giving yourself away. I'm, I'm not talking about just, you know, writing a check or giving some cash. Sometimes that's the easy part. Invest your lives in the lives of others, like Paul did, writing this letter of encouragement, helping these fumbling believers who really needed a lot of help. God has called each of us into his family of faith, the family of Christ, and we can encourage each other. We can pray for one another and be accountable and share friendship and serving. <clears throat> I'm in a new phase. I'm in this grandpa thing. So here we are at church, and I, every Sunday I'm trying to shake everybody's hand or give everybody a hug, whatever you need. Everybody. I fail every week, but that's my goal. Touch every person who's here, hopefully with the love of Christ. And so I will stand out there again, and I'll hug and, and, uh, and give encouragement and shake your hands because I love you. You're my church family. But over the last few months, there's been two little partners that are two years old who will walk in the gym, and they're not looking for donuts. <laughs> they're looking for a gray-haired guy who's slightly oversized, and there's a whole bunch of them in there, but they pick out this one. And they say, he's ours, and they come running. I have to stop everything else, grab them, throw them up in the air, hug them, squeeze them, tussle their hair, pa pass them around. And I was giving this example in the first service, and then I went out there, and then two showed up from Oregon and did the very same thing. Why? Because it's family. 
We're a family together. We are the family of Christ. And that's how we be to each other. We family one another. Paul is saying you were called into the fellowship of his son, into his family of Jesus Christ. So relish it. Celebrate it. God is so good. God has gifted us with grace and with knowledge and with the ability to speak for him. And he's gifted us to serve others in his name. And he's called us to be his family, to carry his name, to do his work, to fulfill his mission. So this Thanksgiving, choose thanksgiving. Let's give more thanks and let's do more giving. Paul said, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Shall we pray? Dear God, thank you that Thanksgiving is here. If we don't do it all year round, at least once a year, we're reminded to show appreciation, to have gratitude, to let our hearts be filled with you. We thank you that you place us in families. We also thank you that you place us in a larger family of faith. So may we truly family one another to the glory of God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Paul and for his willingness to, to suffer and to write and to pray and to care and to give us an example so that we can do the same to the glory of God. Lord Jesus, there's people we know who need you. Help us to connect them to you. Amen.